It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Both sides of the aisle want to implement changes to voting rights, but they can't agree or seem to be able to compromise on what those changes actually should be and at what level, whether that's at the federal level or what happens at the state level. So it it leaves a lot of us, I think, scratching our heads a little bit, wondering why those that we elect to represent us in Washington, D.C. can't do the obvious. Now, we had the chance to sit down with uh, Kevin Kosar with American Enterprise Institute, and he shared with us a number of things about what actually could get done that would actually appease and maybe even please both sides of the political aisle. So we began with Kevin uh, talking about how he doesn't believe in federal takeover of elections, but he also outlined why it's just so hard for politicians to do simple fixes, simple fixes to voting laws that normal, average, everyday people think would actually be good. When we try to have these conversations, unfortunately, this whole issue space, the area around the politicians who have to make the decision, is dominated by activist groups. Whether they're on the far right or the far left, they're the ones who spend all their time screaming at the top of their lungs about this stuff. And the politicians, that's who they hear disproportionately from. You know, it's not a good thing for democracy when that happens. And it's leading to us being artificially deadlocked over common sense solutions that resonate with the public. So as we look at those solutions, again, a lot of those just seem very top of mind and not extraordinary to most voters. And so we we have to question, why is it that we can't get the things done that we all agree on? And I think Kevin pointed it out properly that, look, on on these issues, there are hosts of special interest groups, lawyers, lobbyists, uh, interest groups that uh, don't want this to get done or they want only their version of it to be done. And remember, they're often doing what? Raising money off of those very things. Uh, it's important to their groups or to their 501c3 activities that they can raise money off of these kinds of issues. So as we continue the conversation with Kevin Kosar, uh, he believes there should be a federal grant program for states to upgrade their election election systems if they choose to. And he also believes there are some things that can be done about voter registration at the DMV uh, that could win some broad public support, as long as there are the right measures on the back end as well. Take a listen. Last I checked, your average American doesn't like to go and hang out in government bureaucracy offices. You know, why should you have to go to one place to register to get your driver's license and to another place and register to vote? In each case, they're verifying the same information, your identity and where you live. Why not have it so that people can it all in one place? And that's the sort of idea behind the automatic voter registration. And that also makes for a cleaner set of data. Instead of one agency entering your name and calling me Kevin R. Kosar, and then another agency identifying me as Kevin Richard Kosar, and then those records don't match, it just leads to a cleaner data situation, and it makes it easier for me when I move 
to update all my records. Good for voters, good for security, and probably saves money in the long run. So now that's a radical concept. What if we could do something that was that was secure, that was more efficient, that was more effective? Uh, it seems like we should be able to do that in this country. And again, you don't have to go with a big federal takeover of the election system in order to accomplish that. Uh, there are plenty of ways to to get at that, and there are. Uh, we're, we're fortunate to be in a state where we've gone through and we've done the hard work and the heavy lifting of figuring it out and figuring out how to make it work and figuring out how, if we're going to do vote by mail, how do we make that more transparent in terms of how things get counted and processed? So all of those things, uh, I think, are vital. Again, a lot of those we do very well here in the state of Utah, so that's great. So, yeah, if we want to do some federal funds, fine. Do a grant program to the states to upgrade if they need to be upgraded. And then look for those areas where we can find efficiencies or effectiveness. And you can do those as long as you continue to have security and data protection. Those are also issues that uh, are clearly up for some debate as well. Uh, finally, in our conversation with Kevin Kosar, uh, Kevin also believed that these small fixes really are something that vast majority of the, of the population is going to get behind and support. We argue, um, and this should appeal to the GOP, that voter ID in some format or another should be adopted by all states. We also argue that everyone should have access to voting by mail. It shouldn't be something that's restricted only to certain classes of people or only to people who are in the hospital or out of town on election day. And we put out stuff that should appeal to the left and the right. And what we're hoping is that they can take this and bargain and come up with something they can all live with. So looking at those things that people do agree on, and the vast majority of Americans do agree that having voter ID is a good thing to secure the integrity of the election. Uh, there are so many things that we do, and yes, we know that that is harder for some people to obtain, uh, but becoming easier and easier, and maybe that's part of the process. Maybe that's part of the block grant is to make sure that states have a way that is easy for voters to get personal identification. Uh, I think that's an important thing. Uh, we also know there's a lot of activity going on in our nation's capital when it comes to the Electoral Count Act of 1887 uh, that everybody kind of gets behind that there seems to be some good bipartisan action happening there to update and just clarify a few things. So uh, it makes it pretty easy for Congress to do its job properly. Now, there are also some things that Congress could do uh, around the administration standards that uh, really kind of get to some of the contentious points between the two parties. Uh, and, and here's one of the examples uh, from Kevin that, you know, Democrats want voters to be automatically registered to vote when they get a driver's license or government identification card, which is interesting, again, because often they are saying, well, you don't need to have an ID. Uh, but if they want people to be automatically registered to vote when they get their driver's license or government ID, that seems to be a little uh, disingenuous there. Uh, Republicans, on the other hand, they grouse that the uh, ill-maintained voter rolls mean some ineligible voters get ballots to cast as well, whether that's sending it to someone who no longer lives there or someone who's deceased. So why not compromise and have automatic voter registration and and frequent voter list verification? That seems pretty rational and reasonable to me. So I think there's a host of bipartisan agreements and bargains that uh, can be done. And the question is not whether it's possible. It's a question of will. 
And it's a question of leadership. Who's going to lead? Uh, easy to sit back and have the shouting match across the divide. Or it's even easier for politicians to say, we're just too divided. We can't solve voter rights issues. We can't get more safe, more secure, more trust in our election system. We can't possibly do that. We're too divided. And just remember that as long as they're convincing us that we're too divided, it gives them an excuse to do nothing. It gives them an excuse to do nothing because we're too divided. Can't do it. It's impossible. And I would suggest that we need to get out of that kind of thinking and make sure we're having the right kinds of conversations and electing the right kind of people to Congress who are willing to say, I can have that conversation. I'm comfortable with where I am. I'm comfortable with what the voters I represent believe in, that I can go in and have a good faith conversation about that. And in the process, in the process, we would actually increase the confidence. Sadly, what we have now is a horrible excuse where both sides of the aisle are shouting at the extreme left and the extreme right that if they don't win an election, it was rigged or that something didn't happen. And we got to get past that. We can do better. We're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, much more on Inside Sources. We're going to talk Super Bowl with a rabbi coming up next. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.